When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some facts. Get you some facts right here. Get you some facts. Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. And as always, this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Guys, can you hear my voice? And I'm, I'm telling you just how clear and clean it is. I'm on this new AKG microphone that they sent out to all of us in the Pantheon fam. And I am just absolutely loving it. Plug and play straight into the USB, but it sounds like a studio microphone. If you're trying to get into some podcasting, recording instruments, or just your voice, just check out this microphone. Give it a shot. I'm telling you, you're not going to be disappointed. I am loving it. On the show today, we have the host of the Pitchless podcast and longtime Nashville songwriter Chris Lindsay. Chris has been on the country scene in Nashville since the 90s and has written some songs that I am sure you have heard, including... The number one smash hit recorded by Lone Star, Amazed. If you've been at a wedding in the last 20 years, odds are you've heard this one. So we catch up with Chris as he is starting his fourth season of the Pitch List podcast, which is something you should check out if you're into songwriting, country music, or just like hearing great stories from a music industry insider. He shares a handful of those stories and of songs he has penned, as well as some great info on the songwriting scene in Nashville. I know I love hearing this kind of insider information, and I hope that you do too. So please, please enjoy Chris Lindsay. All right, so we are here with Chris Lindsay of the Pitch List Podcast, and a pretty, uh, I gotta say, as I was getting to know you and doing and researching and just kind of making my outline for the show, man, have you written some songs? Well, thank you. Thanks, it's incredible. Man. Yeah, I um, I've lived here in Nashville for right at twenty five years, and uh, I've been uh, very fortunate, very fortunate to to be a part of a lot of really great stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Heck of a career. There's one fantastic stat that I found on, and I want to jump right into what might, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I got to assume that this is probably your most um, well-known song, and that's Amazed. I'm so in love with you. It just keeps getting better. I want to spend the And I gotta, I'll freely admit that I don't, I'm not a huge, I don't listen to a ton of country music, but I did have a pretty strong phase in the late 90s where I was really into country music with Shania Twain, Garth Brooks, and everything that was kind of going on at that time. And the song that was such a big smash, This Amazed, it really was a part of my experiencing country music when I was a big fan and I was kind of following it. So when I learned that you were co-writer on that with, and what what really kind of gets me now is that that was when you were first meeting your now wife and that song was kind of telling the tale of your guys' feelings for each other. So I'm just kind of wondering, can you talk to us a little bit about that song? Because what an incredible story. 
So we were banging around trying to get get ourselves known, see to try to quote unquote make it as songwriters. Uh, we couldn't really get any of the people we wanted to work with to write with us because we were brand new. So we all wrote together. And one night, uh, Amy uh, had a session, and she was pretty famous for this. She would have she would book a, a demo session. So two days from then, she needs five songs, right? And she's got her publisher on the hook for about $5,000 oh, wow. worth of musicians, okay? <laughs> and she did this often, and she got a lot of hits this way. No one else would pull this off but her, but... <laughs> She called me up about 8 o'clock at night and said, I need some songs. We weren't a couple at this point. We were just really good friends. I need some songs. And uh, that's not exactly true. Let me back up. <laughs> we, we, were, um, we began as friends. It's one of these relationships that over three, uh, I was married. She had two or three boyfriends. We were really close. And then at some point, right around that song, it all changed. Okay. And we, we always say that... Uh, the kind of the feeling that we like when I hear that song now on the radio, that's the exact feeling that I had from her. That's how I felt. Unbelievable. And it's really wild. I've, I don't know any other uh, song that I've written or been a part of where I where I actually feel like it actually bottled a, a unique emotion to me. Yeah. Right. And that I can feel that still, you know, in it. And I think what people feel is that. I think so, too. And it was a really unique stat that I found on this, that it was the, it's the number one wedding song in the UK. Not in America, in the UK. That I didn't know. That's, that's like, it's, really? a, it's some crazy, that's one of the benefits of the Song Facts website, is that they've got these kind of facts out there. And that was something that I read about today, and I was just, I was like, wow. Because you don't think of the UK and country music, but it is big there. But yeah. it's also not, I mean, it's just, it's a perfect for it's the first dance song, so that's what they did. Is that I guess they pulled a bunch of wedding uh, DJs, and they just came together, and that was the one that they said like this is the most requested song by couples to have as like their first dance song. Well, I'm I'm honored. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> I do know there were uh, a couple bigger UK artists that have cut that okay. song. So they're I'm not even sure that it's the Lone Star. Uh, version that they're listening to because Boys to Men did a version mm -hmm. of it, and then I think that group Westlife over there, or one of the guys from Westlife, might have done a version of it. Maybe that's how they got it. That you know? makes sense. Then, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I didn't know about Westlife until I started dating yeah. a girl from the UK, and then I was like, oh, this is like your guys in sync. Right, they are huge, and yeah, and we, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and and no one in the US has ever heard of them. Isn't it funny when you? Uh, because you're living over there now that that is a band there's several bands like that that americans have no knowledge of that are just worldwide huge and yeah. then the eurovision thing which is massive over there and is nothing people have no idea about it here in the united states yeah but people are just batshit crazy for it in europe and the rest of the world yeah, I got an opportunity to interview a guy. His name's Asaf Avidan, and he's a song singer-songwriter out of Israel who's huge. He's had like 13 or 14 platinum records in Europe over the last 15 years or so, and just a, a massive person. But when I was talking to him, he was like, I'm not, if I try and get on American radio, I immediate, my music gets tagged as world music or something like right. that and he's like so there's not really that many radio stations in america that will jump onto that outside of like a college station or something like that and he said that it was his name but when you go back and listen to his music it's americana he's playing you know three four twelve bar blues stuff and just really? kind of and he's an amazing lyricist he's got such a unique voice and i'm just man if he could catch on really easily but he was like the way that the radio systems work over in Europe it's it's just easier for me to get put out we don't like label things quite as much as what essentially he was saying so right. it is kind of fascinating to me but so i want to dive a little bit more into this the Nashville songwriting scene because sure. you're the i've i've gotten to talk to a few songwriters but it's always an amazing i don't i can't quite wrap my head around it so was that something that you set out to do initially or were you ever just as interested in writing songs and performing them for yourself rather than for others? Well, both. So 
I moved to Nashville. Um, I had been in several bands that had small record deals, this and that. Um, you know, th nothing that really ever broke, but I would, worked as a side man. So I was definitely in the performer side when I was younger in my 20s. Yeah. Um, I'd always written songs and I'd written country songs. And uh, long story, but I ran into a publisher out on the road working for some for this. I, I was in a band with this guy named Lou Diamond Phillips, who's an actor. Okay. Still yep. an actor. He works. He's got a show on CBS right now that's doing well. He constantly worked, but back then he was, you know, doing a lot of big movies. And when he took a break, we'd all go out and do this sort of blues band. Okay. And I met a guy from Nashville. Long story. I get offered a publishing deal and come here to Nashville and uh, pretty quickly realized that I, I, I like the writer lifestyle. You know, you get to do all the fun stuff, but you get to stay at home. I, I didn't really, I didn't have the great, like there are people that, and I've worked with a lot of people like this, and some people really need to perform, man. You know what I mean? They really, they really need to be on stage. That's really the fuel that, that, that makes them go, you know? And yep. I really wasn't that person. And when I started, and plus as a performer, I sort of, it was it nothing, it never really caught fire. And actually after a few years riding here, I was, I had kind of gotten some success and I thought, well, man, man, th this is what I, this is right. This is what I'm meant okay. to do. Now, as far as being a country writer, I was telling my teenage boys this last night because, you know, of course they hate country music and they're really talented. <laughs> they, they are starting their own bands and they're, they're incredible. And so, and they're both, cause my wife's dad was a hit country songwriter. So they're third generation oh, wow. country songwriters, I think. But they hate country music. And I try to explain to them, um, look, I never wrote country music. I came to Nashville and wrote, uh, you know, like uh, Power Pop, you know, and uh, Tom Petty and Organic Rock. And they've just put steel guitars on it. And, yeah. and I, I never was. I don't consider, although I've had, I am a country songwriter, I never was coming from that point of view and. And I think that's also why it worked. I often advise younger writers, you know, stretch it out, man. Make it great. Make it really un unattainable for a country artist, and they'll want it. They'll want to figure out how to get it in into the market. You yeah. know, if you just hand them a song, if you're trying to pitch them a song that sounds like everything else, that that's not going to work. They're not right. You know, <clears throat> a young male country artist is not riding around in his truck listening to uh, – he might be listening to some vintage country, but he's not listening to country radio. No. He's probably got rap on or whatever you're listening to. You know, yep. believe it or not, there uh, most people here are fans of all genres. So when you, as a writer, when you can provide them something that's more what they really want to do, um, does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense because I think that the. I think that that's, that's true in so many ideas. It's so easy to fall into the norm and what you think you should be doing. But if you kind of throw a curveball out there, that's how you get noticed. Whether it's good right. or bad, you're going to get noticed. Exactly right. I always say that on our podcast because we have a lot of younger writers that listen. If you take, um, if you have a million salmon swimming upstream, there's only one way to notice an individual salmon, and you'll never miss him if he swims the other way. Yeah. You can pick them out like that. So true. You know, and it's that's just, a really good, that's a really good analogy. And that, that's, I guess I didn't really think about that being your show. Cause I have listened to a couple of the episodes since we've lined this one up mm -hmm. and you bring such a, just you as the host alone can bring such a wealth of information, but then you're interviewing these people that, you know, they've been in the scene just as long, if not longer than you. That can bring even more. And that kind of brings me to my next question for you is, I guess this would be something that one of these younger songwriters would ask you is like, I wrote something, it got picked up, it felt great. How do I stay current? How do I, how do I make this a career and not just like a one-off thing where I moved to Nashville for three years, I had a couple of songs get picked up and then it just kind of phased out. How do you keep it up? Well, yeah, if you want to do country music, this is one, and that's something that comes up often. Um, I always say this. First of all, you never know what someone's circumstance is. So you can't make a judgment for anybody. But I will say, if you move to Nashville and it doesn't work out, your hometown will still be there. You can just yeah. go back, right? 
you know, just bring the things that you need to Nashville, get an apartment and try it out for a couple years. I mean, if it, if you hate it or if it doesn't work, you just get in your truck and go home. You know, people make a big deal. Now, some people have children, they have great jobs and that kind of stuff. And that I do understand. But I will say this. If you want to do country music, you need to come here. Yeah. If you want to be a country music songwriter. Now, I know a lot of songwriters that are very successful who have second places and spend more time in Florida. And even now, after the pandemic with Zoom co-writing, I would see even more of that. But when you're starting out, you need to come here. Well, yeah. I'm assuming when we get back to normal this spring or summer, whenever that is. Yep. Um, back to normal, you need to be here. Does and that seem daunting because it seems like you're jumping into the biggest possible pond? Yeah, it is. But there's not know, really another option. No, I mean, if you uh, if you want to if you want to win a Super Bowl, you got to go play for a pro team. Yeah. Another. So one of the episodes that I listened to was with um, Bill Anderson. I think that this was yeah. the kickoff episode for your new season, right? Absolutely right. Just a few weeks ago. Yeah, he was and an I, amazing guest. I loved it because what what I could tell listening was that this was like a hero of yours. And you yes. were coming from like the position of fandom. And this is like a good example of someone who'd been in this business for what? Probably... 20, 30 years before you got into it and could bring you a wealth of information of the same kind of questions that I'm asking. So getting to interview someone like that, is that kind of what you set out for when you started the podcast? Well, no. Unintended consequence, but a beautiful one. I, I When I set out to start the podcast, my idea was I want to, um, I loved podcasts and, and I thought I was pretty sure they were going to be a thing. And I thought, man, I, you know, Everybody knows I like to talk, so this would be a good idea. <laughs> so, um, but my initial mission was I want to make a podcast that I would have wanted to listen to when I moved to Nashville. My okay. first few years, like I would be like, I, I want to hear every episode of this because he's, he's, he's like putting the people on, excuse me, who are doing what I want to do. And we're getting some real information about how this really works. Yeah. And that was my goal as it's expanded, uh, that was just a, a full circle moment to get to interview him. I have hung with him a couple times, um, but you know, no one can touch him as far as a career. I, I said it in my intro of it. It's like 53 years, man. Yeah. He's had hits in 53, five decades. And just to think about what I didn't realize about that was he spent a decade in the eighties hosting a daytime TV show. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he started out in college having a big country hit. Then he recorded his own song, which was like a pop crossover. And I tried to stress this. I think sometimes when we listen, we think, well, it's the 50s, you know. Well, it doesn't really matter. Having a pop hit is like having a pop hit. I mean, that's like Taylor Swift five years ago or whoever's having – you know, Billie Eilish, that's what we're talking about, you know? Yeah. It's a big deal. And for a country artist to do it, it's almost unheard of. And uh, and like you said, that's just one phase of his career. That's just like yep. one little season. And then he did TV shows. And then he uh, won Grammys. And it's crazy. Yeah. And then and, he was kind of talking a little bit about what you had just said about Zoom writing. And right. now he's even he's even opened himself up to that after a career of it. And I think that that kind of answers my question that I asked you of like, how do you stay current? I think you just got to stay open to like what the times are bringing. Yeah. And um, I, that, it was such an interesting conversation. It was really nice for me because I think when people listen to this show, it's clear that I'm just trying to come from like the standpoint of a fan trying to better understand artists, songs, the music business as a whole. And I think it's it's clear that I have very limited knowledge of it and I'm just trying to gain that knowledge. But you have a lot of knowledge of it. So, But hearing you be like, just you could just tell that you were really excited and you were just like, I'm going to cut this interview off, but I want to just keep talking to you. I have so many more questions and I just love yeah. that. It really, uh, it really authenticated the the whole episode for me. So great work. Oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. He... The story, my favorite thing he told, because I hadn't heard the story, he and Roger Miller, who are riding to San Antonio for a gig, they've got a driver, they're in a station wagon, which this is an insane, like, 18-hour drive. You know, that's the first <laughs> of all, for a $50 gig, okay? 
That's the first thing. They're going all night. Roger Miller was pretty famous for not co-writing. Somehow he was buddies with Bill. Bill talks him, hey, we got this whole car. Let's write a song. They write, a, which was a country staple, what it turned out to be. Your world was so different from mine, don't you see? We just couldn't be close, though we tried. We both reached for heavens, but ours weren't the same. That's what happens when two worlds. But at that time, there's no iPhones, there's no recording devices in cars, and they were deathly afraid they were going to forget it. So they sang it back and forth to each other the whole ride, and then oh went God. straight to a radio station and recorded it at a radio station. Because they knew it was a giant song, and they were terrified they were going to go to sleep and forget it. Oh, my God. The melodies. I can't even imagine. That's so nice. Isn't that a crazy story? I love that. And now we just have our iPhones, and we can just sing a memo in right there. But you know what? I, the people that I've been talking to, it's so funny how so many of them do not, and how much writer regret there is out there of... I wake up with these melodies all the time, and I just do not put them down, and I'm missing out on so much opportunity. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, here that's a writer tip right there. See that thing? <laughs> that's, uh, hard drive is free. You, I mean, exactly. <laughs> you, you have no excuse. If, you wake, if, if you're asleep, you can't do it. But if you wake up with a melody in your head, you better have this phone by you. You better hit that memo, sing it in, and then fall back asleep. There's no yeah. excuse. If yeah, you, if you, you got if the... You, yeah, if you got some lyrics, just talk them in and and then do it. But I, yes, absolutely. Anywhere I do it, do it all day long, man. Yeah, it's a habit too, and it's right. just something that uh, it's you wake up and you're like you're in a, that haze, and you're just like, well, I just want to go back to sleep. Like I'll remember it because it's just like the laziest time of the day for anybody. But it's just like no, just take the ten seconds. You're gonna be able to fall back asleep anyway. That's a lot of great tips for songwriters. So obviously, if somebody's a songwriter, go find. Uh, the Pitchless podcast, because you're going to keep getting stuff like that. Great. So, okay, let's jump into another song that you were a part of that I loved and I've loved since it came out because it's more in my like folky type genre of things. But it's Poison and Wine, which was recorded by the Civil Wars. You think your dreams are the same as mine. Yeah. And yeah. to me, this is a really interesting song, and I kind of gravitated towards it because of its simplicity. It seems that you didn't need that many words to get your point across, um, which is really an incredible thing to do because it's such a powerful song. So can you just kind of give us the story behind the formation of that one? Sure. Um, and by the way, it's one of my favorite songs that I've been a part of, too. When Good. they sent me the demo, which really was the record, uh, I mean, I was floored. As yeah. a matter of fact, I was so floored that I called my wife out here to the studio, played it for her. She was floored, and she called Taylor Swift right there and sent it to her. And then Taylor called me back in 15 minutes screaming, what the F is this? <laughs> and then she, she got John Paul's number from me and then called him, and she kind of broke them because she started oh. showing up at their shows and tweeting about them and uh, – I'm not going to say she broke them, but she kind of did. I don't know what the mythology on that is, but she was very Taylor was very instrumental in launching them because she started going to their shows, wearing their T-shirts, and tweeting about them. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. 
You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport and use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So... If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Yeah, incredible. Because I mean, they're today even they're just an amazing couple, and their voices just yes. mesh together so perfectly. Oh, were, so it was magic. And and right, I'm not giving any credit to Taylor or other. She she just. She's a big music fan, and she knew it's like, wow, this is unbelievable. And and yeah. uh, and she knew John Paul. I don't think she knew Joy at the time, but they pretty quickly worked on something for the Hunger Games, a couple tracks with T Bone Burnett that she did with them. Anyway, yeah. so I've written for years with John Paul White. I always, we were, we were great friends, and I'd always just I started out as a fan and sort of tracked him down. I'd produced a couple country records where we cut songs of his and. Just loved him so much, became friends, and, you know, we'd write three or four times a year. Um, he lives down in Alabama on Muscle Shoals, and he drives up. So um, I had a date on the books with him. He had just he, – he called me the day before, and he had just met Joy at a writer's camp, and they just kind of clicked. He yeah. said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this little duo. Do you mean, can I bring her? I'm like, of course. I came in, so this is uh, what happened. The, I was going to ride at EMI downtown with them, and I was running a little bit late. Well, Amy and I are pretty famous for fighting, my wife and I. And we, we had about a two-day fight going on, and it culminated right before I left. And so I, I, and now I don't know if they remember it this way. I've read, but, but I do. Um, I think I took the title in. Um, based on a fight that I had with Amy before I left. And there are three or four lines in that song that came out of Amy's mouth at me. One of them was, <laughs> um, you think your dreams are the same as mine. She threw something at me and screamed that out in our driveway. And Unbelievable. <laughs> two other lines in that song that or one, there's one, there's two lines that she said verbatim that I took. So I was completely roiled up i went down there i threw this title out i never picked up a guitar which is unusual for me usually 75 percent of the time i'm the music guy in the room but with those two i had a lyric pad throughout the title and just started slinging lyric it's the yeah. only song i've ever been on where i wrote most of the lyric not the music interesting and uh and and they had a lot you know obviously they they had a lot of lyric to um but it just came to me, I don't love you and I always will. And it's, it's another me and Amy thing. I mean, yeah. they obviously, obviously, they had their thing to it. And, every, you know, all three writers live in their own interior world. Yeah. They brought their worlds to it, too. I'm just talking from my side. But yep. to me, it was, it's another, it's like, uh, it's like Amazed After the Honeymoon. Yeah. It's a more mature love song. And it's more like a, um, it doesn't, it, it can be anybody's experience. And that's why it's a great song. Because if you've been in love and you've had the highs and the lows of a long relationship, you can relate to it. So, it, you know, you came into it from your angle and wherever you were at. And then right. the, those two were where, where they were at in their relationship. So they brought that into it. And so that, and then as a listener, like I can bring my experience right. to that song too. And it can touch me in that way. So it's not... 
yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It doesn't have to be possessed in any way by somebody. It can just like, it just is. It's the song and it's a, it's just such a great song. And I just, it's really phenomenal when you can nail the melody and the harmonizing. And that's what those two do so well. And I, I can't even imagine being in the room and just like throwing lyrics out there and then hearing it come out of their voice right away. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> and I don't, don't want to take up all the time on this, but John Paul White, man, is just a, a monster talent. And everybody in town knew it, but he never quite put it all together. Yeah. Somehow Joy came in and added something to him that just made it all work. And, you know, because her thing, you know, she'd been making records on her own in the Christian world. Just when they came together, it just, it was, and, th- and that song, man, I go back and listen to it. It's more of a rock song, too. So there are a lot of lines in it that don't quite make sense, you know, um, but they do make sense. And they're more, and then the one thing about that song I just thought of, there is a line in there like, your hands can heal and your hands can bruise. I remember hearing their first recording of it and thinking, boy, I don't, was that the right, should we have changed that? But it's never been an issue um, um, because it sort of takes us, it, 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 it's a little bit of a glance at, you know, violence. And I don't know yeah. how people interpret that. I was with you on that because when I was going back and I had it on this morning and as I was kind of doing some prep for this and I was very, that lyric for the first time caught me and I was like, that's bold, especially, yeah. you know. In country Nashville, that's that's a bold lyric to put out there of just like, you know, because of the country music person is someone who's not necessarily they who knows. I don't I didn't think of it that way right away. But then as it kind of started spinning in my head, I did. I, I was like a bruised hand that can only mean so many things here. Yeah, I think it says your hands can heal and your hands can bruise. Yeah, it's like, well. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could look at it like, well, anyway, I don't know. It always, I don't know, that just jumped in my head. It's like I did have that concern about it, but it never really came up. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of, not a lot, but I had a song I was part of called Drugs or Jesus that Tim McGraw put out. Drugs or Jesus. My whole life I've tried to run I've tried to hide From the stained glass windows in my mind Refusing to let God's light shine. You know, when that one did get some letters from Christian people like, what, what the hell are you saying, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, because it's basically the what's the Karl Marx thing? Religion is the opiate of the masses. I mean, it's basically a sort of exploring that in a country song. I didn't think we'd get away with that. And we did. There's you been two away. or three of them. <laughs> I did another one that Tim recorded called Good Girls, which is a murder suicide song. And I didn't think we'd get away with that one. And we did, too. Wow. Um, OK, so there's a little bit more about just like. Nashville songwriting and stuff like that that I'd like to talk about if you don't mind. And what I'm wondering is... Of course. Is there a circumstance that you can remember where the lyrics stayed the same, but the general feel, the structure of the song and that kind of thing, after it got into the hands of the artist and the producer, it came back and it was just completely changed. And you heard it and you were like... Yay or nay, either way, can you just think of a circumstance or a couple like that where you were just like, wow, they took this and made it so much better? Or like, I don't really like what they did with this. So let me make sure I've got this right. So the, they did the lyrics the same, but they sort of changed the music. Is that is that what you're asking? Kept your lyrics and everything like mm-hmm. that, but the melody that you had, yeah, the melody that you gave them, everything like that, it came back and it was just, maybe it's more highly produced and there's more layers than it was just kind of, it was, you wrote it as like an acoustic ballad type thing and it comes back a little more up-tempo. Has there been something where it just kind of comes back and it's it's just a different song, but it's the same yeah. lyrics and you were like, you didn't know what yeah. to think of it? There's many times. And in the beginning, it will really... Uh, because they often make really? big changes. Yeah, they'll change the tempo. They'll drop things. They'll. I've had them change chords, and uh, and 
you know, your first re- – when I was younger, my fr- I'm better at it now. It's hard to really evaluate whether or not that was good just because you're so used to something else. So you got to – first thing I kind of – my rule is if I hear it, if they've done it, yeah. I'll just think, okay, take count to ten, nine. you know, let's hear it again. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's for the better. I'd say it's half and half. I've had – I don't want to say any names. But That's fine. there have been – I have heard – I have gone to hear a cut and gone, oh, my Lord. Why would you, why would you do that? You know, and then I've heard them take it, knock it out of the park too. You know, I've, I've had it both for sure, but for sure, I, I don't want to say any specific because they're, because people wouldn't know them. Um, every now and then there'd be one, then you're just like, holy shit, man. Why, what, you know, we get, we handed it to you, you know, and then why would you do that? You know? To me, that would be something that would be hard because. But it's but it's but it's but but I'd say it's one out of fifty. I mean. Yeah. I can see where it would be a situation where you'd you'd fall in love with a song. Like I think I would if I was writing a song. I mean, I think if you start writing dozens of songs a year, you're not going to be so attached to all of them. But there's going to be ones that you know are good, the ones that get sold. And to be, do you have to release full control? Is that another aspect of this? Is like this is the song this artist wants to buy it, and then I've got a I no longer have control over it at that point. Yeah, as far as how they record it, yeah, you don't have any control. Uh, the only control you have is in the very beginning of a song's life. Uh, you 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 have to grant the artist permission to record it. Now, if there's two or three co-writers and two or three publishers, you got six different entities who could grant them the right to record it. So. It's hard to keep an artist from a song, even if you wanted mm. to. I don't know why you would. Um, no, it's completely out of your hands. And here's the thing, man. Part of the Nashville informal education system, this is part of the curriculum is they teach you, and you just learn it from older writers and just the whole thing. But they'll beat it out of you pretty quickly because they have to. You cannot become attached to your songs. That's so Not to be a professional songwriter. If you're an artist and you write your songs, if you're an artist and you write your songs and you record them and then your fans love what you do and then you go play them for them, then that's, that's, that's a totally different thing and that you better protect what you do because that's your whole thing. Yeah. But as a, as a commercial songwriter writing for other people, that's not how it works. If, um, if they want to do one of your songs, they might get in the middle of it and call you up and say, hey, this, I don't, you know, I've had them, I mean, it's crazy. It's like, well, I don't have, the, the third line of the second verse says red truck. My truck's green. Can we say green? Yeah, you know, yeah, of course. Um, so they could want to change the lyrics. They could change it all. And you have to, uh, what they teach, long, long story short, what they teach you here, and it's kind of sad, but it's just the way it is. You have to walk away. Yeah. Songs aren't your kids. You write your songs and you walk away. And for a professional writer, you're going to write 60, 70 songs a year. You can't hang on to them. You write them and then you let the business people try to exploit them. And then that's it. And what you can't, you can't be like, oh, you can't, don't touch that. Don't, you know, whatever. No, not at all. It's like if you were a script writer, a screenwriter. I got to wonder if that's a shock to people when they come in. Okay, well... Yes, when you first move here, and often younger writers or anyone who first moves here, there are, there's kind of some universal things. Uh, people are scared that someone's going to steal their song. That's a big one. And I always say the same thing. It's much worse than that. They'll gut it for all its essential parts and drop it like a dead <laughs> mouse. You know what I mean? They don't have to steal it. They'll steal anything you did great. Um, okay, if you wrote a song about tomatoes, they'll just change the potatoes. The part that you did that was unique or clever, they can rip out, and that's all inside. That's under the hood. Nobody's going to see it. Yeah. So um, you have to get good, and you don't worry about that. And then the second thing is being precious with your material. And like I said, you, you can't do it because you have to move on. You know, you have to write. You have to write. Yeah. And if you were, if you get hung up, if you're writing four song, three songs, four songs a week, you you would never get anything done. You know, you just have to walk away. You write them and walk away. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump back into um, pitch list a little bit because I'm, I'm really you kind of told us a little bit about the origins of it. You were a fan of podcasting. You felt like you had something to say, and you wanted to give 
songwriters, new songwriters, a place to go to to kind of learn like what this conversation has been, an opportunity to learn about like what the trade is and, and what to expect and different things like that and tell these different stories of people who have been in the business. But you've had some really amazing guests on the show. Um, and I think with your experience, it leads to some really interesting questions and conversations. I'm just curious, what have been some of your favorite guests so far? Um, well, you know, like we said, Bill Anderson, sorry, I've just yanked my ear out. Um, uh, Bill Anderson was amazing. I think, um, I've done it again. Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, Bill Anderson, um, the end of last season, we had a guy on who I wasn't that familiar with, but kind of dug in to do the interview, a guy named Luke Dick, who I just loved. Um, we had Ashley Gorley a couple weeks ago, who's like the... 500 pound gorilla Nashville writer for the last several years, putting up numbers that I don't know if any other country songwriter will ever beat, to be honest really? with you. Oh my Lord. I, I, I don't, I wish I had my notes. Um, and his episode's not out yet, but 50 number ones. Oh my God. So it, it, like really like in the, in the dudes, like, I don't even know. He, he looks like he's at 35. I think he might be a little bit older, yeah. but I mean, it's unbelievable what this guy has done. Um, just a phenom of commercial country music. So that was a really good, I like that one because I know that the people that listen to the podcast want to hear him talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Again, going back to when I first moved here, well, hell, I'd like to hear him right now. I, I had a lot of questions for him yeah. because he's, he's more successful than I've ever been at it at a younger age. And so it's like, wow, how do you, you know, I had a lot of questions, um, and then I had Tom Douglas on, who's one an, an old friend of mine, who's a country songwriter that I just dearly love. In the beginning, I had a lot of my friends, Craig Wiseman, Tom Douglas, Lori McKenna. Okay. Um, and, and I love all of them. And uh, Troy Virgis was on, uh, Brett James. These are all country writers. Um, you might know Lori McKenna. She's a folk yeah. artist. Uh, Caitlin Smith, um, another really good friend of mine that I've loved. And so I had people like that that I had in my life that I love, and, and I love those episodes too. So how does this, where is it going to go? What's your, do you kind of have a vision for it? Like I, I assume that what you started out doing season one and where it's at now has been this morphing, and it's not what you originally thought, but it's probably better than you originally thought, and it's uh, taken some unexpected turns, and you're just open with it. Do you kind of, have you feel like you've settled in, or do you think you've got some more things that, are coming up that the direction of this could lead to in terms of who you have on the show, what kind of information you're trying to bring? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot with a lady named Dana who helps me with the show. Um, as you know, doing podcasts, the bigger name you get on your podcast, the more downloads you get, yep. right? Now, for our podcast, it's a songwriting podcast. Some, a lot of songwriters are fairly anonymous, but they're still very relevant and what, what we're wanting to talk about. So there's a balance for me of marquee names and then fulfilling the mission of the podcast, right? So that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. You know, if I get bigger and bigger artists, now any big artist who's a great writer, if I could get Taylor to be on the podcast, that would be a home run for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it gets a lot of eyeballs, but also Taylor's a badass songwriter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what we want to talk about. But um, so trying to balance that. And then I'd like um, I'm kind of embarking on a thing now where we're talking to some people at um, XM and Sirius Radio about I'd like to do a small little weekly pitch list for radio, like a weekly show hmm. featuring one more of an artist writer, somebody that people would know. Okay. Like Tim McGraw or, uh, you know, Luke Bryan or somebody, somebody that writes and performs and do a little 20 minute mini, not such a deep dive, but just a 20 minute radio thing that's syndicated. That's what I'd like to do. Yeah. And that's next. Do you think that that's something that, I mean, I think that those kinds of things hold so much value because I think that the reason that what I'm doing and what you doing can exist is that there's so much interest in the music industry and there's so much that's unknown. And if you're someone that is like me and has a lot of questions about it and is curious and wants to understand and know how these things work, 
it's endless. And if you have the access to the people that can start answering those questions, it's great. And like, like I said, I've listened to a handful of your shows. You've been doing such a great job. I really like the, the interview that the interviews that you're doing with people. And I've been the guests that I've listened to go and check it out. If you like music and you're interested in songwriting at all, because you just bring so much, just a wealth of information to anybody that's interested in learning about it and I just I, I think that it's such a unique thing I don't know anybody who's as focused on like songwriting and Nashville and what you're doing so you found something here and I think that it's I think that you should keep going with it do you could do you think you're going to keep writing songs as well as podcasting where are you at with that yeah I am um I, that songwriting's ongoing I um did a bunch of zoom writing through this year with I've got the way I kind of do it now, I don't write like I used to. I mean, I used to do five days a week, you know, and I got kind of burnt on that. So I have a couple young artists that I like to work with, excuse me, who are making records, and I kind of try to stay connected to them and write. And then I'm just finishing next week an EP, um, something I have never done in my life. Um, next week I'll be finished. So it'll probably be a month. I'll have, I'm making an EP of myself. Oh, really? All new songs, not songs that um, have been recorded by anyone. All new songs that I've written during the pandemic. Um, just it's seven tracks of just me. I've done all the instruments myself. I've just done them here in my studio. I've been working on it for about six months and I'm going to put it out probably in six weeks um, or four weeks. Good for you. Way to stay productive through yeah. this t- did you find inspiration within the quarantine and everything like that that's something i've been trying to ask people throughout this yeah i did um i did and i don't know man i think i don't know how it's well look you've had to move to spain to be with your family <laughs> yeah. i mean so it's it's quite a um we're all trying to stay positive and and hopeful and i think we're gonna all get you know everything's gonna be okay but it's, it's been a tough time man you know, it's been a tough time for a lot of people, yeah. and I've had a few, my wife and I both kind of, luckily for our family, I'll kind of slide downhill a little bit, and she'll be up, and we'll kind of balance each yeah. other, but um, I think it definitely kind of made me think, I'll tell you what it was, I and this is not negative, but it's just the way it is, you know, I came here like as one person. And over 25 years, I've done this thing, which has just been this an amazing ride. But, what you know, I'm a hired gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it's not my show. I'm a hired... And, and man, I, I, I don't want that to sound anything other than that I'm so grateful and lucky to be able to do what I've been able to do. In addition, um, I just... I, want, I, 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 did, I, I feel like I lost kind of who I was, who I was. And before I really quit all this or whatever I'm going to do, I wanted to like make a little record that like, this is me. Yeah. This is really me. You know, not, not like in case you were wondering, cause I don't think anybody was wondering <laughs> who is Chris, but I mean, for me, just for me, you know, and I have no idea if I'm an even marketed or anything, but that's what I've been doing. I feel like that's gotta be for someone who has been doing what you've been doing for 25 years, whatever it's been, and has played the game essentially to take the opportunity to just do one or seven for you. I got to imagine that that's a liberating feeling of like, I don't care if anybody, this was my journey for me. I don't care if anybody hears this, what they think of it. I just, I needed to do this. And I got to imagine that there was some freedom in that versus like, I got to get Tim McGraw another song and I got a week to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is. And it's like, look, look, man, the challenge of getting a, a hit country song written, that's not, you know, disingenuous or, 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 uh, what's another word? Um, you know, deri- the D words derivative, you know, that has some sort of freshness and some authenticity. It, it is not easy to do. So, I'm not saying that, oh, I did do this dumb stuff and then now I'll go do this good stuff. It's not like that. It's just like when you're so, you put it well. It's like you, you know, you have to do what you have to do for your job, yep. you know? And then, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. I, and and I, I was hopeful that I could come out of the pandemic 
uh, unscathed and have a record to show for it, that would be good, you know? I'd like to get vaccinated soon and be, man, I'm tired of this thing. How about you? I know you are. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be at this point. It's just a, uh, it's a, everybody is, there's a couple things that have happened and the way that I've seen it is everybody's had to find patience. If you're not, if you haven't been a patient person in your life, you haven't had a choice. And the other thing is just like we realize how fragile our freedoms really are and how something that we have no control over, you can be the most controlling person in the world and you just realize I have no control over this crazy life that we live. And that's uh, if you can take that lesson out of this, I think that that's a big thing of just go and live because you don't have that much control in the end. You can think you do all you want, but you just don't know what's going to set it off axis. So true, man. Well said. Yeah, the the illusion of control. It certainly that's is. That's a big one. It certainly is. And that it is only an illusion even in good times when people think they are. We are not we did not design this place, invent it or cause it to happen. We just showed up here and we are not running the show. All right. Well, the, his name is Chris Lindsay. He hosts Pitchless Podcast. He's written so many songs that have been in your ears, I'm sure. And Chris, thanks so much, man. I really enjoyed this. Hey, Corey, thank you, man. It's really been a blast to talk to you. Thank you. Huge thank you to Chris for coming on the show and chatting with us. Such great stories. Go check out his podcast, Pitch List. I am sure you will not regret it. One thing that I want to touch on, because I realized that we didn't say this during the show, the song with Roger Miller and Bill Anderson that we were talking about was When Two Worlds Collide. Great song. As always, for the stories behind the songs... Go to songfacts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.